The sponsor of this episode is Clavio. Clavio accelerates momentum for e-commerce businesses and does it in a fast, reliable, scalable, and cost-effective way. See why over 2,500 innovative fashion and beauty brands like Chubby's, Taylor Stitch, and Bonobos sell more with Clavio. Learn how they're doing it at clavio.com slash glossy dash podcast. Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy Managing Editor, Hilary Milnes, and in this episode, I spoke to the designer, Rebecca Minkoff, about her new brand platform, why she doesn't sell her products on Amazon or Jet, and the future of Fashion Week. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining us, Rebecca. Hi. So great to have you. We're right here in the middle of New York Fashion Week, so I'm really glad you were able to take the time. Uh, your brand had some big news, but no show this year. So you launched a new campaign. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, as we were beginning to talk as a team about what would be the most effective, we know video is increasingly more important. And so we wanted to try, as we like to do, um, a format that was mostly video-based with um, you know backup photography and launch it digitally and see what would happen and really just hone our message in with something that we could control in a in an environment and really just make sure we celebrated what we wanted to stand for, um, which is the launch of this new brand platform, um, which is called I Am Many, as women were marketed to, to just be one thing, be brave, be ambitious, be bold. And we kind of feel like we should be talked to for the, all of us. You know, we are many different things. We are very dimensional women. And so we should celebrate that. So it was really uh, women celebrating what they are. And there are many things um, across all different uh, ethnicities, body types, careers. Um, and so it made a really rich, um, I, I guess, activation is what you'd call it, to mm-hmm. celebrate Fashion Week. Great. And, and you, when you say brand platform, what, what is, exactly do, does that entail? So I think as you see our brand evolve, we're no longer, you know, messaging that I'm the lone Shiro doing this all by myself, right? It takes a team of successful women who have my back, but also how do we look to do collaborations with other women, uh, whether it's a designer, an artist, um, and really take that light that we've, you know, been able to cultivate through our growing audience and shine it on more up and coming people. So it really, you know, you see it with Virgil, right? There's no real female male designers working in that kind of capacity where they're cross-pollinating with other brands and other activations. So as we view ourselves as a platform, you'll start to see more of that percolating, um, but also just the elevation of other women just by even talking about them or interviewing them or showcasing them at the store and helping to sell their products just as ways we view you know, this as uh, a an element of supporting other people and other business owners. Mm-hmm. And so, and that ties into the the female founder, is it collective? Female founder collective. Yeah. Yes. And so you, is, does this tie into that campaign directly? Uh, what, what role does that play in, in how you're approaching the new brand platform? So they're connected, but they're also separate. I think the female founder collective came out of an idea 
that I had left after a meeting and a colleague and I were talking and we were shocked that this company had no way to identify their female founded companies on their roster. And they have thousands of companies that uh, take space in their offices. And we thought if there was just a symbol, you know, like a little smiley face, we were joking around like next to each female founded company, then you'd know when you're going to go hire an architect or an accountant or a designer to look for the woman. Um, studies show that 82% of women are more likely to support another woman-owned company if they only knew. So it was like an aha moment of let's make a symbol. Um, and I worked with um, an incredible company called We Are Go, and they helped me design the symbol. And then I realized I had to start a, a nonprofit. So that was a whole um, new experience. And really, it's about first making the symbol as recognizable as possible, similar to I Live New York or um, the non-GMO project verified symbol we all come to recognize. Um, And then from there, we will have a database where women can contact and find each other for resources, but then also mentorship. And then hopefully as funding reaches all-time highs, which I'm hoping, um, you know, we'll be able to, you know, give money to up-and-coming female-founded companies. Great. Really interesting. And, and so when it comes to the actual collection that's that's new for this season, how did your clothing and your products tie into what, what we're seeing on the, the brand platform side as well as the Female Founder Collective? What are customers sort of getting out of all of this in, in terms of how they're shopping the brand? I think now more than ever, it's important that people connect with something way more meaningful than a product. So we wanted to lead first with these women, their stories, and hopefully if you connect to them and you connect and are inspired by them, then when you need something, you'll shop from us. So we did showcase our fall collection as part of the I Am Many video series uh, and campaign. Uh, it's all available on the website, available to shop, see now, buy now style. Um, so it was everything we had designed, but we're, we're sort of changing how we design it. We want to be able to give a woman something that she can wear from the boardroom to the work, to her volunteer, to pick up her kids. And so I think it's about celebrating those many moments she goes through in life or during a day and giving her that clothing. But um it's no longer like I was inspired by this artist and the collection is based on that. Right. It's, it's with the designing with the customer in mind. And, and so how does that, um, speak to the, your approach to brand loyalty? How do you drive customer loyalty today? Because there is so much competition and so much noise. Uh, how do you cut through that and build a relationship with your customer that's, that's ongoing? I think it's twofold. It is standing for a larger message. Um, Also, as part of this campaign, the t-shirt that you see on a lot of the celebrities wearing it, um, we picked, we identified with these influencers, three charities, and 100% of the profits go to these three charities, two of them being um, girl supportive charities, um, Girl Up, and uh, I Am That Girl. So I think it's also the customer, again, connecting with the brand. It's deeper than product. Um, and also knowing that we give back to every activation we do and also customer service. And it's not just the customer service email. It's talking to your customer. It's engaging with them, uh, asking them questions, surveys, and really having that dialogue be something that's ongoing. Mm-hmm. And does it matter where your customer shops? Uh, obviously you have recommend golf presence in department stores, um, wholesale partners, as well as the stores in, in your e-commerce site. How do you prioritize those channels when, when part of the, such a big part of the strategy is the brand story and, and having the brand stand for something, where does that mean the customer goes when they think Rebecca Minkoff or does it not really matter? 
For us, whether it's our own website and our own stores, obviously those two are the most important. Um, I think, you know, if you don't live in a place where there is our store, our website is a very rich place to go for content, for, you know, shopping and and to see how our customers also wearing the product. Um, If you can get to a store in one of our four cities, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, or New York, that's a way to touch and feel the brand or come to a fireside chat and come away having learned something. We host these chats uh, one to two times a month. Our last one actually was with Glossy. Yes. Um, And so I think that's a way to get into sort of the community um, if you happen to live in that and live in that town. And then obviously our wholesale partners are incredibly important and they tell their story and we're happy to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what would you say that is that a little bit more introductory to the brand? Um, if you're encountering the, you know, in, in a department store, as opposed to the store itself, like is the goal to drive people to that direct retail channel, uh, from the department store? I mean, if you look at it, you know, take Nordstrom, which is our biggest customer, uh, wholesale customer. And, you know, they have 141 doors. I can't possibly be in 141 physical locations. So for us, it's a great way for people all over the country to get their first taste of the brand, support their local retailer, or maybe it's a specialty store. Um, and that's where they like to shop. And so as long as they're, if that's where they're going to get it, that's great. I think as they begin to educate themselves about the brand, we want them to come to our site or pop into our, our store and support us there. But, um, we want to work together with our wholesalers. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship. So it's never, um, one is capitalizing on the other. Right. And where would you say this came from when you started the brand? What has changed about the consumer dynamic with the brands that they're shopping? It, obviously, because it's, it's, it's kind of a funny thing to think about. Customers always mattered, uh, if you were in the retail business, but now they're, they're, so much more influential. What do you think led to that shift and and how have you, and I think you're speaking to this, but at what point did you start to think like, okay, this is something that, that we need to tap into, take advantage of and evolve with? I think that the internet, (laughs) the World Wide web, um, and then from there, social media, I think the expectations of the customer, first of all, with service and timing are incredibly high. I also think that Uh, you know, the world is flat now in terms of you can get anything anywhere. I was in a store yesterday looking at the price of a tweezer and I was like, $23 seems so expensive. Let me go on Amazon, $9.99. And I was like, awesome. I'm getting taken advantage of. (laughs) I'm going to buy on Amazon. So I think that, you know, my customer and as a customer myself, we're doing that all the time, right? Or you see some shoes on someone, you Google it, you can get it from anywhere. You don't really care where you're getting it from. Um, and so I think that the goal is to be top of mind for that customer when they go to get it. I thought of Amazon, you know, hopefully someone thinks of Rebecca Minkoff when they go to get a purse, but, um, it's, you know, I think the idea of something not being available at any time of day, anywhere on the planet is now gone. And so how do you cut through that? And you have to cut through that by being really creative because it used to be easy. You could put something in a magazine and then it would sell and then you could go home at night. Right. <laughs> and hang out with your family. Right. Now it's always on. Yeah. So, so first I want to uh, touch on, you mentioned Amazon and there's a Rebecca makeup presence on Amazon. No, there's not. There's not. There's okay. not. Unless it's yeah. a third party seller or our phone cases. Yeah. How do you, how do you deal with that? 
Third party sellers? Yeah. And we just we Amazon do. In general. Um, you know, we decided that we wanted to be able to control our pricing and control uh, a narrative stronger. And at that time, nothing against them. That was not something they were capable or wanted to do. And so we said, thank you, but we have to walk away from this business until, you know, pricing, price integrity is there. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think Amazon is still not not there, uh, but is it something that you would reconsider if they were to, I think it's it's just a matter of like brand protection for, for an industry like fashion. Correct. And we've worked really hard to make sure that we do have price integrity. So we're happy to relook at any conversation with brand, you know, with a company that would uphold that. But today, you know, we are putting our bets on the partners that have shown that they are um, going to honor those agreements. Right. And you mentioned customer service, customer experience, um, knowing that that Amazon's a leader in convenience. And if I want something right now, that's kind of where a lot of people start and say, okay, can I get it in two days from Amazon Prime? Do you keep that in that customer behavior in your mind when when making decisions around how to build your own customer service and customer experience? Like how, how can brands sort of compete in and operate in an Amazon world without playing directly on Amazon? I think if you can mirror, and we haven't done this yet, and obviously we'd like to um, get there, but, you know, same day messengering to your house. And, um, you know, we've also looked at taking our stores and making them mini warehouses so that you could, in the tri-state area, get someone the goods they need right away, or they could shop at the store, and then we can send it to them. So those are all things we plan to have on the go forward. And there are retailers already doing that. It's not like, you know, net-a-porter does that very well. Um, I would say they're a great example of doing that, the type of service that people are coming to expect, or even Jet Black. Like as a busy mom, if I need something, they'll get it to me same day. If I forget paper towels or wipes, it's there at my apartment when I get home. Right. And yeah, Jet is an interesting partner. Are you, do you sell on Jet? Nope, we do not. And is that something you'd consider that like in, in terms of, um, okay, a convenient marketplace that's a little bit more friendlier with brands than Amazon? We'd have to look at it. We'd have to see what the proposal is and the pluses and minuses. Um, I haven't ruled it out, but um, I think we want to make sure that we're part of a destination where people are buying clothing and bags and shoes. And until that feels like a place that has that, uh, we probably, you know, I don't know. Today, we're not quite ready to be like the bag that ships with your batteries. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a quick break to hear from today's sponsor, Clavio. Whether it's being able to execute marketing ideas you didn't know were possible or bringing to life the ideas you didn't have the tools or resources to do before, Klaviyo makes it possible for you to level up. You can try it for yourself at klaviyo.com slash glossy dash podcast. Now back to the episode. It's it's really fascinating for, for a designer brand. Um, how many people... It's how many people work for Rebecca Minkoff? It's still about a, 90. Okay, so it, it gives so much to... How do you what, how do you prioritize? You have all of this brand. A brand has to stand for something. It has to have a message that really resonates with customers. You have to think about okay, how do I build up my e-commerce capabilities to compete uh, with, with the standards that Amazon is setting? How do I make clothing uh, that old thing that people want to actually buy? Like, how do you prioritize when it comes to the standards being set so high for everything across the board? I think the key thing is, and someone gave me this advice, if you employ someone and you give them a paycheck every day, they better be taking a load off your back, right? And you shouldn't be the one having all the ideas and you shouldn't be the one doing all the thinking because then there's no point that they're there. Um, And so I think as my brother and I, who's my co-founder, have built the team, it's like, 
No, they need to have a great idea and they need to come forward with a great strategy. So we really lean on our team and we have a great executive team um, that helps us think through Fashion Week and our brand platform and our customer service. And hopefully, you know, with the generation of all those ideas and a lot of the cross-functional meetings we have, we come to a consensus of what we want um, and we run. And so I think also... Uh, 90 sounds maybe big to some people, small to others, but it is a lean team and that once we decide something, there's not many layers of the organization from yes to implementation. Right. Uh, you can move quickly, which is obviously super important today. Uh, and in terms of that internal setup, um, how do you make sure that the right people are speaking to each other? I think that's one of the hardest things that brands, uh, I think no matter what size, just depending on how they've kind of evolved, making sure that that communication is in place, that you know the, the data and tech team is speaking to the marketing team, is speaking to the merchandising team. How do you make sure that those that's set up so, it, so that everyone can you know, get, get on the ground running. So we had a chief brand officer start back in February and what she did right away was she redid everyone's seating. And at first I was like, uh Oh, people are going to freak out because <clears throat> everyone was seated by division. Um, and she said, no, all the VPs are going to sit together and their team can sit or, you know, and their teams can sit next to each other. And what it did is it fostered lots of communication that was quicker than Slack, quicker than email, quicker than text of just like, I'm sitting right next to you. What do you think? And so that's been really successful to have it be by, by level. Um, and so I think that's really helped. And then encouraging dialogue from the staff, like there's no, there's no box around anyone. So if someone has a good idea and you, you know, you're, uh, the receptionist, we want to know, um, or if you're, you know, on the merchandising team and you have a team building idea about morale, we want to know. So I think it's important to also listen at, just as we're listening to our customer, we're listening to the people that work at Rebecca Binkoff every day. Right. And you're also growing internationally. Uh, how do you plan a strategy for, for growth and success in a, in a different market? China is obviously a, a big top of mind uh, market for fashion brands in the U.S. Uh, it's, it's growing phenomenally. So how do you look at that where it's such a different market, uh, but there's great interest in the brand and have the right tools for, for success when you can't just sort of take what you did here and, and apply it over there? I think what's really key is finding a partner there who really knows what they're doing and has great experience um, and history building other brands. So we usually will identify who's the best in the area and then really form um, a great partnership with them and make sure that they launch the brand as they know how in that uh, area where we might not understand different uh, cultural differences um, and different ways of doing business. So it's a true partnership where we really get to lean on their expertise and they get to lean on, you know, the intellectual property of the brand, our products, you know, what we've managed to create in the U.S. and amplify it in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. So the type of partnerships, is that you're working with Alibaba? Is that? No, we have a like chat. Uh, well, they might choose to sell to Alibaba, but we're working with like uh, partners in such a way that they will help us open the stores, help us operate the stores, help us figure out the wholesale distribution plan. Um, and then we run. Okay. Um, and what's, what's that like when you're, when you're thinking about the brand on the, on the global scale? Uh, is that like, when, at what point do you start thinking about that as a, as a designer? I think when you start opening stores, which we have, you know, in Malaysia and Thailand and, you know, uh, opening stores in China, you really have to think like a global brand. So we, I think we're taking a view that um, you market differently, you talk differently um, in each area that has different cultural 
um, interests and activations. And it's not just this one splashy advertising campaign that you just put in a bunch of magazines and, and hope that everyone eats it up. Right. Which, which I think applies to many different facets of, of what a brain has to be and do today. Uh, so, so to go back to your, your new campaign, you mentioned there was the, the digital launch, um, with a video and how do you pull different levers when it comes to social media and, and making sure that that is all working in your favor. How do you prioritize across different platforms? Um, obviously, like you said, it's not just set it and forget it in a in a nice magazine spread anymore. Uh, it's a lot more dynamic every single day. It's it's you have to be feeding that that content machine. So I was just sharing with Jill. I was like, having a runway show is so much easier than what we decided to do. And it might seem easy that we just you know filmed eight episodes of a video, uh, but when we got into all the different cut down, one video had to be cut into 60 seconds, 15 and six seconds, and then uh, cut special for YouTube, cut special for Instagram, cut special for Instagram stories, um, and probably cut special for something else. I had the joy of doing all that with an editor. Um, so it was 108 video assets total. And then a woman on our team who's the VP of content had to map what goes when, where, how, how much money you know, is put behind buying it, how much is organic. Um, not that you can control how much is organic, but when I say that, like how much we're putting on our own feed. Um, then who are the celebrities taking part and what are they sharing and when are they sharing? It was just like this master list of timelines, deadlines, and and cross-functional madness. And it was a lot more work than just like plug and play. Let me get some models. Let me get some beautiful people in the front row right. and make some looks. Yeah. Um, I think also what goes into the looks of this is everything had to be available to be purchased uh, on our site or by a partner within, you know, uh, now to 30 days from now. Um, everything had to fit, you know, we had diverse casts. So making sure that, you know, we make clothing up to size 14 now. So making sure we covered, uh, that in our, in our choices of what was available for those sizes. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just lots of these details that sometimes when you're like, let's just do a video, it'll be great. Right. Yeah. (laughs) A lot had to come together. It was a lot. It was a lot. So why not do the runway? What made you go off runway? I think one, we like to experiment. Um, to the runway at the time that we began discussing it felt uh, just like not fresh and not new. Um, And I feel like we said, you know what, video is the future and let's see if we can leverage this to be successful. So we obviously don't have all the numbers and metrics yet. And um, this is the launch of I Am Many and it's going to be continuing for a long time. So I think as we see if that was successful or not, you know, we'll see what we do next. Mm -hmm. And as we're looking at fashion week, I think this is a conversation we've been having and you mentioned that the, the collection uh, is the see now buy now approach. Um, it feels like we've just seen designers go all over the spectrum. It's it kind of feels like the, the old norms and like every, all the traditional ways of doing things kind of imploded. And now you have people showing in June and January instead of uh, September and February, you have collections that are being shown in season and then collections that are being shown six months out still presentations, runways, do you think that there's going to be a continuation of that a sort of lack of order and, and exper- encouragement for um, designers just to experiment what works best? Uh, or how do you see this playing out? I think it's going to play out that, you know, we're in a time of deep experimentation. And at some point, you know, the dust will settle and you'll see something ignite and work. And then everyone will jump on that bandwagon. And that'll be the new way until something disrupts the area again. Um, I just think it's taking longer because 
it's hard to measure in this, you know, in this new time, like, should I do spring? Should I show fall? Should I do a mix of both? I think until you start seeing, um, someone come forward and I think people are scared to come forward and be like, I tried this and it didn't work. Well, guess what? If it doesn't work for us, we're going to try something else. It's not like you get, you know, an award for biggest loser for trying something. (laughs) So I think until also more people are willing to share what works and what doesn't and why this did or did not, it'll take longer. So I encourage other designers to come forward with what's working so that we actually can see, oh, this is the new way we should adopt this. Right. In the in the name of transparency, it's hot right <laughs> now anyway. Uh, and, and in terms of how you measure then, how do you, what do you look at? Because I know you, you've worked with some, some influencers uh, and, and are trying a new uh, digital campaign launch approach. How do you, what, what do you have to put in place to see if, if it is working? I mean, we look at many things. We do look at impressions. Uh, we look at sales. We look at uh, hits to our website, you know, numbers in our store escalating. We're looking at our wholesale partners having great response. Um, we know we cannot compare it to the previous season or the season before that because one season was a show. One season was uh, us participating with the Women's March. So there, you, it's almost like you can't compare this year to last year. So you're just looking at like, was this in its own little unit of time something that moved a needle uh, with those metrics? And if it does move a needle, great. And I think, you know, we're also looking at, you know, on as part of this, activation we had Sophia Bush, Nikki Reed, um, and a couple other celebrities whose charities were making donations to support the I Am Many. And they they said to their fans, this is how I Am Many share yours. And you're seeing this incredible surge of consumers uh, on their feed sharing their many. And so for that, you know, for that to us, that's success because people are being touched by something that's bigger than product is being touched by like, thank you for sharing who you are. This is who I am. And we're hoping that that continues. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the, um, cl- it sounds like you have a very open source ap- mindset approach to, to fashion. Uh, it, you, you're mentioning collaborating with other designers and other brands and other businesses. Uh, you want designers to be a little bit more transparent about what they're, what they're doing and what they're working through. How do you see, and I, and I think it's a little bit new for fashion and any sort of like open source people typically hold their strategies to their chest. It's a very competitive industry. Do you see this becoming a, a bigger trend and in, in, in what ways? I hope it's a bigger trend because I think the more that we can share knowledge and information, um, the more successful everyone is. If you look at the investment community, they're sharing information about companies all the time. Hey, have you invested in this? And they know that if they get their friends to invest, usually that company is successful because the right people have invested in the right time and are all talking about it and it becomes a thing. I think if you look at a trend, right, everyone's like, ooh, that's, I want the dad sneaker. And now suddenly it's okay to wear literally the ugliest things I've ever seen, but now <laughs> I, I want a pair, right? <laughs> so I think if we can share our knowledge and our successes, um, you know, all ships rise with the tide. There's enough there is enough room for everybody and there's enough room for everyone to succeed. So let's all help each other do it. Right. And we're almost out of time, but as you are doing a lot at once, I think is what the main thing we've been talking about today uh, and looking at things like immediate impressions, um, social media engagements, but also playing a, a longer game that, that says, you know, how do we measure success over time and not looking at year to year and, and experimenting and pushing the brand forward overall. What do you think is the, is the biggest mistake a, a designer brand can make today um, in terms of not keeping up versus you know have, playing a, a short-term game versus the long-term game? And how do you avoid that? 
I think some of the things which everyone will probably be like, yeah, we know that already, Rebecca. Um, <laughs> you know, not talking to your customer, not listening to her feedback, not engaging with her, um, making sure that you stand for something larger than your product, uh, making sure that you are in a white space. And if you are making white t-shirts, what makes you better than any other person making white t-shirts? I think... Um, I think also a lot of people start out and they think they have to take a lot of money in in order to be successful. Um, and then you go through that money and then you are at the beck and call of your investors. Um, and I think if you can really tell a great story and really build a strong customer um, just want and need, um, you can build your company on your own terms and take in you know, money later because it's about that heat and that love that that customer has and that community that you really need to build. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. Be on the lookout for Rebecca Minkoff's own podcast, Super Women with Rebecca Minkoff, launching on September 18th, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Glossy editor-in-chief Jill Manoff will be appearing on an upcoming episode. And we'll be back next week with our first Glossy Podcast live episode. Be in the room at the next live recording by joining Glossy Plus, our subscription program. For 20% off an annual subscription, you can use the code podcast at glossy.co slash plus. As always, a special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM, and leave us any feedback you have. Oh, 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 oh